Hello, Pioneering Today podcast listeners. So on today's episode, I'm really excited to talk with you about swaps that you can make in the kitchen with your existing recipes. Right now, uh, we are I'm gearing up for a whole lot of holiday baking. One of my favorite things to do is bake. I have to say if I was picking between cooking dinner or baking something, I would always hands down pick baking. I just love to bake. Um, there's just something... Probably because I have a sweet tooth, <laughs> so I just like to eat what, eat all those goodies. But I really do enjoy baking. It's something that I enjoy to do and I love to do. And during the holidays, there's a lot of holiday special recipes, Christmas recipes that I pull out that it's just not Christmas without them. And I'm not quite sure why I don't bake them all year round because I love them. Maybe because we only have them once or during a certain time of the year, it makes them more special. But I really should pull them out more often throughout the year and bake those. So that's on my list of things to do. But when I'm going through the recipes, especially a lot of our older recipes that I had before we really got into making everything from scratch and using whole food ingredients, traditional ingredients and not processed things, some of those old recipes have some not so great ingredients in them. But because they're kind of tradition and there's some family recipes and stuff that I grew up with or my husband grew up with, I don't want to just toss those recipes out the door and not ever make them again. But I don't want to make them the way that they are. So they definitely need some adapting. So I thought it would be really fun to share with you guys some of the ways that I adapt some of our recipes and that these are things that you can use to adapt some of your family recipes as well. And I've also noticed by, you know, doing, being able to adapt a recipe to the ingredients that you have on hand and not processed ingredients really saves me time because then I'm not having to run to the store if I don't have one certain ingredient to make something. And then also the from scratch type cooking, it's a lot more frugal. Um, it's just, it's way more cheaper. I've been doing out some of the cost estimates so that I really know for sure if it's more frugal. And I've been really, I've always thought that it was more frugal, but if you don't actually sit down and do out the math on cost per ingredient, sometimes it's hard to know how much more frugal it actually is. So for some of the recipes, I have been doing that and it's much more frugal if there was ever any doubt <laughs> to make it from scratch. And so one of the first things, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast to do, is we don't use any cans of processed cream of condensed soups. Um, for one, that's just something extra that I have to stock and it's room in the pantry. And two, it contains a lot of like hydrogenated soy oils, um, just a lot of things that are genetically modified ingredients and aren't so great for you to begin with. And they're not cheap. Um, I haven't purchased any in probably, oh boy, I don't know, four or five years probably. So I don't really know the current price of them, but I know when I was purchasing those cans, um, especially for the name brand ones, I want to say it was like a buck, buck 69 probably for them or close to it for the um, name brand cans of those. And so I make a simple from scratch white sauce at home and it takes like literally three minutes. It's very quick, really easy to whip up. And using organic butter and home ground organic spelt flour and organic milk, I guess that it, it costs me about 50 cents to make what I would pay a dollar something for in the store that's not good, healthy ingredients. So when I discovered that, I was really excited when I actually did out the math on that one. And of course, if you're not using all organic ingredients, then it will be even less. Um, those are some items that we choose to do organic on is our, our butter and milk for sure. So that was one of my swaps that, that I really, and I'll have, um, I have a full tutorial on that as well. And that'll be in the show notes. So this is um, 
podcast number 46. And you can access all of the show notes, transcripts of the shows and all that kind of stuff at melissaknorris.com. Hit the podcast button and then you'll see them all listed there in numerical order and then by title. So you can catch that there. Um, and then another way, so when you're looking at the recipes, a lot of, especially a lot of my holiday baking recipes, I don't know about your guys's, but a lot of them call for shortening. And um, shortening was used a lot. It used to be cheaper than butter. I don't really know if it's cheaper now because I haven't bought it in a very long time. But when you look at the ingredients in shortening, again, it has a lot of genetically modified ingredients in it. And it has a lot of those hydrogen, hydrogenated uh, oils in it that are not very good for us. So shortening is something that I threw out of our kitchen cupboards a few years back, probably almost three years now, I believe. Um, but when I pull out a lot of my recipes, a lot of them call for shortening. So with any recipe, when it calls for a fat in it, like shortening or butter, um, you have a couple different options of things that you can do. You can swap out almost any fat for recipe. You just kind of have to know a few of the twists. So the three fats that I mainly use in my baking and cooking now is, of course, organic butter. And then I render down my own lard at home from the pigs that we raise. And I've also gotten pig fat from our local butcher when we didn't have enough or were on an off year when we weren't doing pigs to render down my own lard. And I have a tutorial on how to do that and how to get your the different um, on your rendering when you're rendering it down. The first render is the rendering that you want to use for baking. And that's the rendering that um, is usually more white and it has less of an odor and it doesn't taste like bacon. So that's what the, you will use when you're doing like your pie crust and your cookies and that kind of a thing. And I will link to that in the show notes for this as well. And then the other thing that I use besides the butter and the lard is coconut oil. And when you're using the coconut oil and you're, um, I've learned with the coconut oil when I'm subbing it out for shortening especially is coconut has a lower melting point. So it starts to melt at a lower temperature than butter or shortening does. And it also, so I've learned when I'm making things like things that aren't contained, um, like say a cake or something in a pan, but things like cookies, especially when I use the coconut oil, they tend to spread out more flat like a pancake and they spread out further and faster because of that lower melting point. So I've learned to cut back on the coconut oil a little bit. So usually say the recipe calls for like a cup of coconut oil, then I'll use like two thirds to three quarters cup of coconut oil instead. So that's a, a tip and then you're using less oil as well. So those are the three things that I use in place of the shortening. And with pie crust, uh, my mom actually made a pie crust and it was fantastic. And she used butter, lard, lard and coconut oil in the pie crust and it was really good. So you can play around with them. Of course, you know, with butter, you're going to get more of that butter flavoring. So just play around with some of your recipes and the different fats and see what you like the best in each type. I tend to really like the coconut oil in brownies. I think it's fantastic in brownies and I like it in doing muffins and cupcakes and that kind of a thing. I prefer my butter in my cookies. So I use all butter instead of shortening in cookie recipes. And then um, I do really like the lard for the pie crust. I have to tell you, it makes phenomenal pie crust. I really like using the lard. And the key with that is to keep it really chilled um, before you cut it into the flour in your pie crust. So then some other recipe swaps, and this works really good for holiday recipes as well, is to use molasses and honey. And I really, I have started doing some research and I had been getting organic molasses. Um, and so we, I get a big tub of it actually at our co-op. It's great. They have a big um, vat of it and that's about an hour from our house. So I'll go down and stock up on that. And as well as honey. Now with my honey, 
raw honey has some great health properties to it. And so I really like to use honey on things that um, aren't getting baked and I'm, I'm not um, heating it up. But honey is a good natural unrefined sugar source, especially when it's raw honey or from a local local um, place. We have a, a family that does local honey locally here. It's local. <laughs> and um, so I try to get the honey from them. And it's really fun because you can taste the different flavors made from the different um, types of pollen and it affects the flavor of the honey. So that's been really fun to try out the different ones and see which we like best. But um, molasses and honey are great in swapping out some of your sugar in different recipes. And when you're using the molasses and the honey, they also create a little bit of extra moisture into the recipe as well. So if you have something that's a little bit dry, and you're using the honey and molasses, it's going to provide some extra moisture into it as well. Or you can also cut back a little bit on some of the fat if you're using all honey or molasses in place of regular sugar in a recipe um, because you're not going to need all that fat for moisture because you're using a liquid source of sugar. And then another thing that we do, and I love this because one, it makes it a little bit healthier because it, it is less processed, or not just processed sugar, but less sugar overall. And that's to use applesauce or pumpkin puree. And this works really good in holiday recipes because, of course, we all love pumpkin. Um, and it just tends to lend itself really nicely. So I will use pumpkin puree or applesauce in place of some of the fat in any kind of recipe that I have. So for instance, like I love to make um, sourdough pancakes. And so when I do my pancakes, instead of using, I think the regular recipe calls for like four tablespoons of melted fat. What I'll do is I'll use one tablespoon of melted fat and then I'll use three tablespoons of the pumpkin puree in place of or applesauce. They're really interchangeable. And then I can also cut back on the sugar as well because I do my own pumpkin puree at home and I use a sugar pie pumpkin which has quite a bit of natural sweetness to it already. And then I'm, we make and can our own applesauce at home. And generally, I don't add, if I add any sugar to the homemade applesauce, it's a very, very minute amount. And most of the time, I don't add any sugar to it. So it, because they're naturally sweet, then we cut back that sugar, which brings me back to my next tip. And that is when you're looking at your recipes, try and cut back the sugar in them. Um, I have used the same, I think it's a Betty Crocker. Uh, chocolate chip cookie recipe forever. It was the one that my mom used and I just love it. I think it's the best recipe that I've tried and I've tried several, several different chocolate chip cookie recipes. But when I was altering it, now I, it calls for part shortening and part butter. Now I just use all butter and I used homemade, um, or home ground, excuse me, spelt flour in it instead of regular all purpose. So I've made a few changes there. And, but it calls for a lot of sugar. I mean, I know we're making cookies and all, but it really does have a lot of sugar in it. And so I cut back it calls for brown sugar and white sugar. And so I cut back each of the measurements. Um, each was a cup of sugar. And so I cut each of it back by a quarter cup of sugar, which equals a half a cup of sugar eliminated from the entire recipe. And I didn't tell my husband or my kids because I tell you what, they are the most picky things under the sun when it comes to their favorite recipes if I make any alterations. So a lot of the time I don't tell them that I've changed it and I wait to see what their reaction is. And if they can't tell, then I'm like, yes. <laughs> and so I cut back the sugar. A total half a cup of sugar from the recipe and they couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. You couldn't taste any difference. So my main recommendation is just try cutting back on the sugar measurements in a lot of your recipes. And I think you'll be really surprised that you really don't notice the difference in the taste and the way it turns out at all. So that would be my biggest tip. And then another tip that you can do too is if you have um, a recipe where it tends to come out on a little bit of the dry side or you'd like it a little bit more moist 
and if you don't want to add in the honey or molasses, is if you just use brown sugar, because brown sugar has the molasses in it, which is what makes it brown, then that brown sugar will add a little bit more moisture into a recipe as well. So I like to do that. Um, and I like that. I prefer actually the taste of brown sugar in baked things. I really like brown sugar. But I really do like molasses and honey. And actually, too, with that, you can also use maple syrup. Uh, maple syrup is a great sweetener, and it really goes well with holiday recipes as well because those are kind of all the flavors that we think of when it comes to holiday cooking. And so I will use maple syrup, too, in a lot of my recipes, and I'll kind of swap that in. But one thing I learned with the maple syrup is it, I didn't realize that there was different grades of syrup. So there's grade A and grade B. Now, most of, like, the real maple syrup that I have found in the regular stores, even organic, including Costco, is grade A. But grade B has more, it's less refined. It goes through less filtering, if I understand the process right. And so it has more of the minerals in it and more of the vitamins left in it. So I've been buying the grade B maple syrup and it does need to be stored in the fridge and it's actually in the fridge section at our co-op. And so you go in and I just take a big old jar with me and fill it up, which has been really great to find that. So that's my little tip there on the maple syrup. And then some other things when baking is, I don't know about you guys, but we don't have our own dairy cow at home or goats. So I don't have access at home. You know, we've got the chickens for the laying hens. So I usually always have eggs when I'm doing baking. But one thing that I can realize is I'm, I want to go bake something and say it calls for a cup of milk and I go to the fridge and realize, oh great, I've only got like a half a cup. Most recipes, you can use either all water if you have to, or you can use half water and half milk. And you really don't taste that much of a difference. So that's one of my things is you can swap out and just use half the milk instead of all of the milk for a recipe and use water and the other part of it. And you really... I don't tell much of a difference on the texture or the taste, quite honestly. So that's a, a frugal tip and a great way to save some extra money. Um, you can also use, though, if a recipe calls for dairy, a lot of times if I have yogurt, I will just use yogurt in place of whatever the amount in the recipe it calls for. And I really like yogurt. Um, yogurt tends to give it a little bit richer flavor and a little um, bit more. I don't want to say heavier texture because it's not a denser texture, but I really like what it does. Now, a lot of recipes will call for buttermilk. In fact, in most of my bread recipes, even if it calls for regular milk, I will use buttermilk instead. And because buttermilk has an acidity to it, it just does something really wonderful for the texture and rise of baked goods. I just adore buttermilk. I use it in pretty much everything. But sometimes when you go to the fridge, you realize you're out of buttermilk. And our closest store with buttermilk is like, oh, it's about 10 miles away. And most of the time, I'm not going to drive, you know, 20 miles just to go get some buttermilk to make a recipe. So you can make a substitute for buttermilk at home. It's really super easy. You just take a cup of regular milk and add a tablespoon of either uh, lemon juice or apple cider vinegar and let it sit for like a minute or two minutes and you'll see and it'll curdle. And so then you have the acid added into the milk. And that does a really great thing to your baked goods when you add that acid in there. So that's one of my tips for an easy holiday swap out is to use buttermilk. And that's how you can make it. And then another thing I have realized when you're doing chocolate recipes, and I, I like to do this a lot because my husband's favorite thing dessert wise in the world is chocolate. The man loves chocolate. <laughs> and so... To bring out the flavor of chocolate, now some of you might not like coffee, but 
If you like coffee, there's something about when you add chocolate with coffee that the coffee brings out, it heightens some of the chocolate flavor. And so a lot of times we'll brew coffee in the morning, but then by the afternoon, what's left in the pot, we won't really want to drink because it's quite strong. And so instead of tossing that out, which actually you can, um, you know, you can use coffee in your compost and all that kind of stuff. But instead of getting rid of it is I like to use coffee in my baking. So if I'm making a chocolate cake or something like that, then I will use like a quarter cup of brewed coffee in place of some of the liquid in a recipe. And it really just gives, um, it intensifies the chocolate and it gives it a really good flavor. You don't taste the coffee so it doesn't taste like you'd have to use a lot more coffee or an extract or something if you wanted the coffee flavor but it does something really great to the chocolate flavor and it brings that out so that's one of my other tips is to use coffee and so you know if a recipe calls for some milk or water or you're subbing it out some brewed coffee if you happen to have any just laying around is great as a sub in to add in too so that's another one of my tips for changing out on those um, holiday recipes so I wanted to bring up the reader question of the week. And this is actually another way to make, it's going to lead into another way to make your recipes a lot more healthy. And the question was, can I use a sourdough starter if my daughter is allergic to yeast? Does sourdough have yeast in it? And so sourdough traditionally, traditionally made sourdough, it does have yeast in it, but it's not the strain of yeast that comes from the store. So yeast that you buy in the store, you know, it's in the little packets or it's in the jar. That was um, actually, I believe it was in the 1940s, if I remember my dates correctly, that the store-bought yeast was brought out and started being available to the general public. I think it was actually the military that started using it first in the 40s. But anyways, it quickly became really popular. But the problem with that is it's only one it's only one or a couple strains of yeast and so yeast is wild and it's natural and it's all over everything around you so when you do sourdough and you do a traditional method you're actually capturing the wild yeast in the air and you're using flour to feed it and water and so those are your only, basically it's two ingredients if you're making a traditional sourdough starter. And that's the flour and the water. And then it captures the wild yeast in the air and they start to feed on the flour and it creates the natural good bacteria that we need um, for our guts and to be healthy and, and that kind of a thing. And it, and it starts to ferment. So that's what sourdough is. And so it's that the bacteria in there with the yeast that makes your sourdough and it makes your natural rise. And so... It does have yeast in it, but like I said, it's not the concentrated single strains of yeast that you have from the store. So it's natural yeast that's all around it. Now, as far as allergies go, I have no idea if she's allergic to all strains of yeast or just the yeast in the store. She would be allergic to the yeast in the sourdough because every area has slightly different yeast there. So that's why you'll see with sourdoughs like San Francisco sourdough, Alaska sourdough. You'll see if you go to buy your cultures from like companies online, and that's because they all have slightly different yeast and bacterias to each um, locale, and so it's going to make it taste a little bit different. So, I, you know, if it would depend on the severity of someone's allergy to yeast, um, but yes, sourdough does have yeast in it, but it's different than store-bought yeast. And sourdough is a great way to swap out holiday recipes. So when you're baking, when we use flour, Flour has something in it called phytic acid, 
And when we don't soak our flowers like with sourdough, you're adding your flour to the starter and it's sitting for at least 12 hours as it feeds. And so it's, it's soaking. And so as it does that, the good bacteria in the sourdough helps break down that phytic acid. So then our bodies are be better able to absorb the vitamins and the minerals and the nutrients in the flour. So sourdough is a great thing to do. A lot of people really like to use sourdough. Plus, it's very frugal because if you're buying yeast, if you're doing a lot of bread baking and a lot of baking that uses yeast, buying yeast can be kind of expensive. And so I love that the sourdough yeast, when you use the traditional method like I just mentioned, is completely free. You don't ever buy the yeast. It replenishes itself and it makes the food nutritionally better for you when you use sourdough. So sourdough is a great way to swap out some of your holiday recipes. You can do so much with sourdough. I had no idea. Of course, everybody's heard of sourdough bread and sourdough pancakes usually, but I didn't realize really what all you can do with sourdough. You can do sourdough crackers, sourdough tortillas, sourdough biscuits, and you can do a ton of baking with sourdough cakes and muffins. Um, I was just really impressed when I realized all you could do with sourdough. And my sourdough starter is about two years old now, almost this spring it'll be two years old. And I had had, I had started my sourdough starter. I'd had actually a lot of failures with sourdough starters. I had tried about 10 or 12 years ago to do a sourdough starter where you use regular yeast from the store and sugar and flour and water. And I never could keep the thing alive. It would always grow a whole bunch of mold. And so I just gave up. I'm like, this is just too hard. Well, then as I got more into to doing things the old-fashioned way, you know, pioneering today, I decided I really needed to take another look at sourdough. And so a friend of mine told me how to do a traditional starter just using the flour and water and capturing the wild yeast and not adding the other stuff to it and gave me tips on feeding it before I wasn't feeding it enough. Um, the method that I use now is you feed it every 12 hours or twice a day in the beginning when you're getting it going, and then you can feed it once a day or put it in the fridge for dormancy. But when you're starting it, you want to feed it often so it gets good and strong. And so I'd had it and it was about two years, two weeks old. And I was really excited to start baking with it and figuring out how to use it more. But I really wasn't sure um, because so many people, you know, sourdough is kind of one of those lost arts that a lot of people, we don't know how to cook with it anymore because it's different using it. Um, the rise takes longer than it does with store-bought yeast. So there's a little bit of a learning curve on products that really need to rise like your bread. And so I was kind of kind of nervous and I didn't want to mess it up, but I wanted the stuff to be good. And I made a few recipes, but they were really sour. And I, now don't get me wrong. I like sour. I love sourdough. But my kids weren't really so thrilled with the sour taste that it was coming out in the stuff I was making. So when my sourdough was about two weeks old, I found a sourdough e-course and e-book um, by Ganalflens, which is a traditional cooking school online, which I'm now a contributor to, which is kind of funny. So anyways, they had an entire sourdough course and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is this is for me. And so I got the e-book and the course and I was really excited that I did. It has, you need to make pizza crust. I mean, I had no idea all the stuff that you could do with sourdough. And it really broke it down and it helped me realize what I was doing wrong. So if you ever made anything, you've had it too sour, uh, then you're going to know what I'm talking about when I say it was too sour. And so this ebook is great. I, in fact, it's one of the few ebooks that I printed out and I actually have on my recipe, on my cookbook shelf with my recipes in my kitchen and I, and I pull it out and I use it quite often. And so they actually have, which is fabulous, is there's a free video on how and why to make your own sourdough starter using the traditional method with the wild yeast. And so they have 
tutorials and there's a video and pictures really breaking down all the steps, which is great. And then there's a whole bunch of free recipes, which I love. And so if you want to check that out and get your own starter going, or maybe you already have a starter, but you want some new recipes or tips if you're not having such great success with some of your sourdough recipes, and you can grab that free video and the recipes at melissaknorris.com slash starter. So go there and that will get you the video and then the free recipes as well. They have a whole bunch of recipes on the site, which is really fun. So I hope that that answered the question on the sourdough with the yeast. Um, and there also is, and that's um, if you go to melissacanorris.com backslash starter as well on that page, they also have a gluten-free sourdough starter, which I didn't know that you could do a gluten-free sourdough starter, but they also have instructions on how to do that. So that's fabulous for all of my gluten-free folks out there. You can still enjoy the benefits of sourdough as well. So some of my recipes, I've been slowly moving over to a sourdough recipe. Um, we now do pretty much only sourdough pancakes and sourdough waffles are two of our main things. And I've done, I love the sourdough tortillas. Those are super good. The sourdough crackers were great. Uh, and of course, sourdough bread. We don't tend to eat as much bread as we used to, but we, when we, um, we still do some. And so sourdough is key there. So anyways, go there to grab all of that. And then... And so then another feature that we have been doing or adding to the Pioneering Today podcast is kind of sharing like the verse of the week. And so it's just a, a Bible verse that's really um, been important in my life this week. So I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the time when I'm reading the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is I really feel God's judgment or I really feel like, I start, you know, in all the times when he punished the Israelites and did all that stuff, I start thinking about all the things that I've done wrong and I get kind of overcome with guilt on all the areas that I have failed and the times that I haven't done what I was supposed to, you know, things that I've said that I shouldn't have or thoughts that I've had. And I get kind of caught up in that cycle of guilt instead. And then I, I feel kind of, kind of scared of God, like, oh, you know, I've just totally been a failure for you. And that is not where God wants us to be, but it's a lot easier to focus on our downfalls a lot of times than it is on the good things. And so I was reading this verse and it's Isaiah 30, 18, and it says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And it, it really just sank in. He wants to be gracious to us. He rises to show us compassion. And when I read that, I realized that I wasn't focusing on that part of him. I was focusing on the other part. And that was the enemy trying to get me away from God's goodness and grace and mercy. So nothing that we've done can ever separate us from Jesus. Not angels, not death. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so I just want you to remember, if you're going through that time where you feel like you have done some really horrible things or you just... God can't possibly keep forgiving you because you keep messing up. He longs to be gracious to you and he rises to show you compassion. Blessed are all for, who wait for him. So I hope that you will take that verse to heart. I've been reading it almost every day this week and it's really made a difference. And so I hope that that blesses you as well. And then our other feature that I want to do is our feature of the of the week on the podcast is what you're reading. So I don't know about you guys, but I tend to do a little bit more reading in the winter time. You know, it gets darker, so we're in the house earlier, and we tend to go to the kids tend to go to bed earlier too, 
Um, and so does my husband when it gets dark out so early. And so I have a little bit of time to myself in the evening. And I really like to curl up in the chair with a good book. I am a book addict. I love to read. <laughs> and so one of my favorite series and she just released a new novella, which ties into the series. And that's by author Joanne Bischoff. And it's the Cadence of Grace series. And it's historical fiction. And it's set in the Appalachian Mountains in the um, late 1800s, which is a time period and era that I love. Because my, um, my grandparents and my folks hail from the hills and hollers of North Carolina. And so I really feel like I'm kind of going back home when I get to read something that's set in that setting. And I, I love that time period, the real, you know, the real pioneer spirit. Um, but her writing, I'd, like I said, The Cadence of Grace is a three-part seri- uh, three-book series. And it's one of my favorite series. Joanne's one of my favorite authors. Um, the characters are really real. They're very in-depth. They're very flawed. <laughs> Um, but just like we are, you know, we're, we're all flawed and, and I love to see the story of how God turns around what seems to be like an impossible situation, um, and changes their hearts and changes them back to him. And it's filled with surprises. Um, I can't, it has more twists and turns, (laughs) um, than I can say, but it's a really good book. And then she just released a novella called, uh, this quiet sky, um, that just released a couple of weeks ago. And so I got to read that when, in fact, I had pre-ordered it. Um, that's one of the things I love about Kindle. <laughs> I'd pre-ordered it. So as soon as it came out, um, it was showing up for me when I sat down that night. And I actually read it in one night because it's a novella. So it's a little bit shorter. And I read it in one night. I stayed up till like close to midnight. Yikes. But I just could not put it down. I had to finish it. And it was it was great. In fact, I ended up, um, I don't want to spoil it for you. So I won't. But let's just say I cried at the end. And it's very rare that I cry reading a fiction book. Um, and so this was one that, that brought me to tears. And it's because it was so good. And it stayed with me, um, you know, for the past couple of weeks, ever since I read it, you know, I'll be doing different things. And I'll, I'll think of it, it's something from the book will pop into my mind. So anyways, I will link to all of this stuff that I have talked about in the show notes. And so I will provide a link so you can check out all of the books and the different resources that I mentioned as well. So thanks so much for listening. And please leave any comments or questions or any tips that you have into making your recipes um, healthier and more frugal.